Welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast, where we learn the little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi. Krista Anderson, thank you so much for joining the One Degree Shift Podcast. How are you today? I'm all right, and thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation today because I'm an avid reader, studier, student of workplace culture and the future of work. And I stumbled across this, what I thought to be fascinating article in the Wall Street Journal. It was called The Dangers of Hiring for Cultural Fit. And in that article, I saw your name that talked about some of the work that you do and some of the findings that you came up with. So I'm curious, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, the work that you do, and perhaps what's most interesting to you in this workplace conversation, this workplace culture conversation? I have the pleasure and honor of um, leading Corn Ferry's cultural transformation practice globally, which means that I work with our clients around the world to help them create the culture that's going to help them execute their strategy, whether that be becoming more customer centric or more innovative or more agile or more speedy or whatever it might be. And actually my My background is grounded in, I started off helping organizations figure out what makes someone successful in their role, what are the behaviors um, that drive success, and then assessing people for that. So I spent the first 10 or 15 years helping clients sometimes hire for cultural fit, but also not for cultural fit. And so that's that's a bit of my background, and, and I guess what I'm excited about at the moment is really an insight that's that's been becoming clearer to me over the last year um, and working with clients on changing their culture, which is that change always by definition starts with an us versus them. There's us who've realized the need for change and there's them who need to get with the program. And what that does if it carries on that us versus them mentality is it makes the change a zero-sum game. You know, if I change because you've told me to, then I lose and you win a little bit. So what that's meant for me in working with, with clients is that my number one job has become helping everyone in the organization empathize with everyone else and see the positive intent behind others' behavior so that that us versus them can become weak. I'm imagining there's no quick sort of flick of the switch turnkey solution to doing that, but where might you start? The, the simplest, I think, answer to that is seeing the positive intent in others. So I had a client ask me recently at a, at a leadership conference at the beginning of a change journey, the CEO said, if you could give one piece of advice to the executive committee and one piece of advice to everyone else in the organization, to all of the employees, as we embark on this journey, what would it be? And I said, it's actually the same advice for everyone. It's on this journey, there's always going to be moments when you feel like someone, whether they're above you or next to you or below you in the organization, someone's not changing fast enough. Someone's not getting with the program. And at that moment, if you can stop and find the positive intent, what is the admirable reason that they're not changing, that they're doing what they're doing, then you'll be able to move forward with them without getting frustrated and without Mm. giving up on them. Um, So I think that's the sort of the silver bullet, except that that's really hard to do, obviously, and it takes practice. Very interesting. Now, when it comes to that, 
individual or those people, are you seeing a common trend as to why they're not getting with the program? Is, is there something that they have in common? Is it, is it fear of change? Is it comfort? Is it security and stability? Is there something that you're seeing over and over again that comes up? There isn't. I think it's super individualized. I think there are some patterns within organizations. So organizations that have been through crises, you know, most financial services organizations post-financial crisis get into a kind of command and control mode. And what's hard to see often for employees is the positive intent that sits behind that command and control leadership style, for example. So it's easy to look at that and say, this person's a control freak. That's why they're doing it. They think that they're better than me, that they don't trust me, et cetera. But often it's coming from a really good place of, I need to protect our customers. I need to protect my employees by just telling them what to do so that they don't have to take the blame if something goes wrong, for example. And so I think it's very individualized, but I think actually I... I think that notion that people don't like change, that people are afraid of change, is one of the most undermining beliefs for making change happen because it stops you from finding the good reason that someone has for not Mm. wanting to change. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. I, I really appreciate it. A question then, when it comes to cultural fit, do you find that highly engaged or higher engaged teams are more open to change or or even assume that positive intent better than disengaged teams? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think the danger of hiring for cultural fit, um, as I talked about in the article, is, is sort of getting greater every day. As the world moves faster and faster and technology changes faster and faster, it means organizations need to change faster and faster and even just teams within organizations and if they don't have enough diversity of thought then the status quo never gets challenged and therefore they're not able to adapt and pivot and move where they need to move so i think you can mean a couple different things by cultural fit i think the point in the article was that it can get used as an excuse for hiring people who think and act and look just like you and i Mm -hmm. think that's becoming more and more dangerous every day. Can you dive into into why that is? And, and maybe I'll give you a little bit of context as to where I'm coming from. How many teams really need to be creative and innovative? And I'm not suggesting that number is low, by the way. But how many of these teams really need to be creative, innovative, bring different backgrounds, perspectives, and opinions so that they can better serve their customer base or, or, or their clients? And so like if, if we've got an assembly line or we've got a team of people who are executors and fantastic at it, how dangerous is it that they look, feel, sound, think like each other versus having a diverse team? I mean, if you take the, the sort of factory line example that you, that you just mentioned, you know, the Toyota way is grounded in the people at the front line actually being closest to the problem and mm-hmm. and being in the best position to come up with a solution. And that is a kind of continuous improvement based on, you know, those people that I think the stereotype would be just need to kind of pull the crank or whatever it is. So for me, that kind of highlights the fact that actually everyone at every level can be challenging the status quo and thinking creatively about how to make things better and continuous improvement. Sure. And sure. so possibly you can get away with not having as much diversity, but 
I don't know why you'd want to in today's world, mm-hmm. when actually mm-hmm. you just need every edge you can get. Yeah, absolutely. So then what does it mean to, or how might we better hire for fit? Or what does modern fit look like? Is that more experiential? Is that more working style? What does culture fit look like to you? And what are some tips that you might have to hire for it? I think it's about knowing what, first of all, what is the culture that you're trying to create? Um, And and before you dive into that, what does that, what does that mean? Sorry. And I don't mean to cut you off, but I think we say culture often. And I just kind of want to maybe slow down and say, what, what does culture mean to you so that we can ensure that we're on the same page? Yes, sure. So the, the definition that I find most useful is a, the simplest version would be it's unconscious assumptions about what good looks like. And it sort of tends to touch on three topics for a company. One is, why are we here? What value do we bring to the world? So, you know, Amazon puts theirs in their mission statement. It's to be the most customer centric company in the world where you can buy whatever you want to online. Google does the same. It's to organize the world's information. So they're, they're bringing different kinds of value to the world in different ways. And the culture needs to tell you something about how are we bringing value to the world? Is it through innovation? Is it through customer centricity? Is it through operational excellence in the case of Toyota? And then it should answer the question, okay, so how do we need to work together to get there? Do we need to compete with each other or do we need to collaborate? Do we need to take decisions top down, but really quickly or bottom up, but it goes a little bit more slowly and so on. And then lastly, how do we need to be individually motivated? Do we need to be risk-takers? Do we need to be kind of broad thinkers or deep experts and so on? So that's how I see culture. Um, And once you've defined the culture you need, often organizations are kind of trying to shift. So organizations that have been successful on the basis of operational excellence, for example, often find that their competitors are kind of catching up with them and they need to get much, much sharper on creating an outstanding customer experience, for example, so becoming more customer centric. So I think when you know where you're trying to get to, then the, the, the helpful kind of hiring for cultural fit is actually hiring people that are going to move you on towards that culture. So hiring more people who, you know, just love the continuous improvement of engineering. If your background is operational excellence, isn't going to move you forward on the customer centricity journey. But, and this is the art and science of it, you Mm -hmm. need people who will move you forward, but not alienate the rest of the organization so they still need to be able to communicate with the people from the legacy culture so operational excellence in this example very interesting and i mean my only disappointment now is that we've got a 15 to 20 minute podcast and not two to three hours but with that said you know i'm curious to dive in a little bit more around this idea of best culture i mean we we see it all the time um the best places to work list uh, best managed companies would you say then that given what you suggested that there is no universal best culture Uh, you know what one place that is phenomenal for people to work might be borderline toxic for others based on the criteria that you just said yet they both can be on that best place to work list yes i absolutely believe that i think what's the right culture for one company depends on a couple of factors. One is what's their strategy and the other one is basically what's their culture today and how does that fit to the strategy and, and how does it not. So I think that's right. What I am 
starting to observe is a couple of cultural traits coming to the fore that are becoming increasingly critical kind of regardless of strategy. Um, and it comes back to the point that I made earlier about the world moving faster and therefore people and organizations needing to change more frequently than they did before. So one of the cultural traits that I'm noticing coming to the fore and kind of being important regardless of strategy is, is a culture of growth mindset. So if you're familiar mm -hmm. with Kyle Dweck's research into growth versus fixed mindset, then I think having that growth mindset attitude, which, which for listeners who aren't familiar with it, is basically the belief that intelligence and talent are traits that you can change and grow over time. And what that belief does is it makes people want to take on challenges, want to take feedback, and they see failure as a learning experience rather than as a indication that they lack talent, for example. Mm -hmm. And what all of that does is, is actually fuel people to continue to learn and get better all the time rather than get defensive or try and defend their position or just stay in their comfort zone so they don't they don't risk failure. So I think that's one kind of cultural trait that's coming to the fore. And the other one is what I alluded to right at the beginning, empathy and being able to see situations from others' perspective and assuming positive intent because what all of that does is create the trust in the organization and each other that means that people can constantly challenge the status quo without threatening each other. Very interesting. So then as, as a final thought then, or, or a final question for you, how might companies better attract talent that is aligned with that culture? And, and where I'm going with this is that I'm seeing the average job description is between 250 to 300 words. And I'm thinking to myself, how does anyone possibly know what they're signing up for in a 250 to 300 word description. Many of those words are describing the ping pong table or the keg or the flexible work environments or the brand reputation. So how is it that companies can more proactively articulate what that culture or experience is to, to attract people who want what they have to offer? I think one thing I'd like to see companies doing more of is asking candidates to think in advance of the interview about their personal purpose, kind of what are their unique talents and what do they think is really important and what do they want to be able to do every day at work, not from a task mm -hmm. perspective, but what do they want to achieve? Um, mm -hmm. So my personal purpose is, is discovery, you know, discovering new things about how organizations work and so on. And what that enables me to do is start to filter through what are the kinds of organizations and cultures that I want to work in and ones where I don't, you know, places where you're discouraged from asking too many questions are never going to work for me. So I think asking candidates to think about that and then talking about the purpose and culture of the organization in the interview is a good start. Mm -hmm. Say you say you were applying to twenty different organizations right now, and that was your purpose was this mindset of discovery. Would you know going into these interviews if that's going to be a fit for you? Because my gut tells me that many organizations wouldn't give you the information before you enter that place of work for you to know if you're going to be able to pursue that purpose at work. That's a good question. I need to think about it. I mean, I think 
in that particular case, you sense when you're talking to someone, whether they're open to your questions and in the conversation and the dialogue, you know, whether they're kind of learning as they go or if they're taking a view that they already have all the answers. So I think mm-hmm. I read something recently about job interviews and just trusting your instincts. And I think there's a lot to be said with the trust in your instincts. If something doesn't feel right in the people that you're talking with, then you're probably on to something there. Krista, this has been absolutely fantastic. Is there anything else that you want to share with us before, before I let you go? I think it's been a great conversation. So thank you very much. Fantastic. Well, I hope you have a great day and thank you so much for being on the show. You too. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker today, visit erictermundi.com. That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E.com and click the podcast tab. Thanks for listening.